0: everyone's geared towards university or college or trades and getting a job uh meanwhile i i was planning on abandoning life for two months and kayaking around a lake
1: this is the adventure sports podcast brought to you by 180 tack get out there and have some fun
2: hey everybody welcome to the show i hope you had a good weekend this is mason and i didn't really do too much this weekend but it sounds like a lot of y'all have according to facebook and instagram so if you'd like to call us and let us know what you did over the weekend you can leave a voicemail at 812 mail pod that is 812 m-a-i-l-p-o-d if you'd like to support the show financially, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N.com slash adventure sports podcast. And that just helps us to keep the show going. That helps out with all the uh, inevitable expenses, as well as helps us uh, take our time to find the best guests possible. So if you'd like to do that, we'd really appreciate it. And there's a lot of patron-only content that you can get through the platform. That's my dog whining. So, hurry, stop. Anyway, uh, today's episode is really cool. We got a a kid, not a kid, I guess he's, well, especially after this trip, he's a man now. He circumnavigated Lake Winnipeg on kayak at 18 years old. A really cool story, real young guy, just beginning his uh, adventure sports career as an adult. And I'm pretty impressed by his outlook and a lot of his uh, reporting on the trip, and it's going to be a good show, so I hope you enjoy. All right, Kurt, take it away.
1: Hey friends, welcome back to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I have Alex Martin with us today, and Alex did the coolest thing this summer. I should kick this off by saying that he's 18 years old, just not been 18 for all that long, and... He circumnavigated, solo, first person to do this, Lake Winnipeg. And I think it's the coolest thing. He's a he's a great guy, and I can't wait to hear about this trip and uh, how he got going doing this. So, Alex, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's so cool what you did. And when I heard that you were going to do it, I think I first heard about this while well, you were either on the water or hadn't started yet. I think maybe you were on the water But regardless, it sounds like it it went off without a hitch. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it was awesome.
1: So cool. Well, I can't wait to dive into the details of this. So we're going to be talking about what the people call it Southern Canada. I I still think of it as pretty far north, (laughs) the northern reaches of this continent. So we're going to be talking about what Lake Winnipeg is like, what it's like to grow up in that area. We're going to be talking about uh, kayaking and and what it's like to do that big of a trip, and a lot of things like that. So, let's kick this off, I guess, Alex. You, you say you grew up in the city of Winnipeg, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in the city of Winnipeg as well as uh, an area located on uh, the eastern side of the south base of Lake Winnipeg.
1: So, Lake Winnipeg, you said is like an hour or something like that away?
0: Yeah. Yeah. About an hour's drive.
1: Okay, and believe it or not, I did see Lake Winnipeg just barely when I was a year younger than you are now. <laughs> so I I drove up there with a buddy in my 1968 Volkswagen. So I can I can claim that I've at least seen it, but I have no memory of it really. So you're gonna have to fill us in. What is Lake Winnipeg like?
0: Yeah, Lake Winnipeg. A uh, lot like a lot of people haven't uh, haven't experienced it very much, even even from uh, Manitobans. You know, people, if they have been to Lake Winnipeg, people tend to go to uh, the South Basin. The lake's split into two basins, the North and the South. The North is uh, a lot more uh, remote. Uh, there are many communities located on the North Basin's shorelines, predominantly First Nations communities. And it is uh, it is a lot larger and it's known for having bad weather. And then the South Basin's a little, it's, the South basin smaller. It's what people mainly think of as cottage country. So you have a lot of very nice beaches that uh, many Winnipeggers travel up to on the weekends and stuff like that. And that's mainly what people think of as Lake Winnipeg, especially when it comes to Winnipeggers. They think of, uh, you know, getting to sit down on the nice beach. You go when it's nice out, you go when it's sunny and there's no wind. So the lake is is calm. And that's what people tend to go for for recreation, whereas uh, myself, I like to push it and go on those windy days, whether it's windsurfing or kayaking uh, and really get into... Uh, the big swells that Lake Winnipeg gets in the storm season.
1: Mm, and there are a lot of
0: islands in this lake as well. You have a feel for how many? There's a lot on the uh, eastern shoreline. Uh, the South Basin doesn't have too many. I would, like, ma- major islands, it's not like uh, Lake Superior. So my father grew up on Lake Superior, and there's a lot of islands out there, and they're all named, right? And uh, people will travel out to, uh, you know, like, one island for lunch or uh you'll take your canoe out and go island hopping uh but the south basin there's there's a few massive massive islands uh that are home to recreational communities such as Hecla, uh heckla island uh there's deer island bear island uh there's some in the north basin that are uh very popular like matheson island And then you get uh, more remote islands like George Island, which ends up being sailing destinations for uh, keelboats. And then there's a lot of very small islands on the East Shore that, uh, to me, when I was paddling through them, it was very much like experiences I've had on the East Coast uh, and as well as some of the Great Lakes. I'd I'd guess there'd be about uh, maybe 30 major islands, very big to, uh, you know, the very, very small islands there'd, there'd be hundreds of small rocky islands on the east side wow
1: well i have uh wikipedia open because i wanted to be able to speak somewhat intelligently about this lake uh it says that it's a relatively shallow lake which it i guess it averages uh, about 40 feet deep something like that yep and which is kind of interesting that means that if the wind gets
0: gets hauling you probably have some huge swells with huge that huge swells lake. yeah and they're very very uh they're known to be very difficult to uh to paddle in uh there is a saying uh that I, i'm not sure if it's Manitobans inflating their ego or not but the saying is uh if you can kayak or windsurf or sail uh lake Winnipeg you can kayak or windsurf for sale anywhere. And people usually fill in their own sports into whatever category <laughs> right. that is. Um, it is, because it's very shallow, there's also many issues with timing for waves. So when you go and uh, surf on the ocean, for example, uh, you're given the period between the waves. I haven't been surfing on the ocean in a long time, maybe like uh, four seconds or something like that. Lake Winnipeg, you really get no break in between them. So one of the major issues for... It's a lot of fun for surfing or windsurfing because uh, it's, it is a challenge, but uh, when you're in a kayak that's 18 feet long, if you have large swells and you're surfing one wave, you end up surfing four or five waves because they end up being so close together that you have very little trough and a period that's under one second or two seconds. Oh, that's crazy. That's something I would not have known
1: nor thought of. So it means it's, it's uh, probably a little bit more chaotic. I mean, when it gets rolling, it's really rolling.
0: Yeah, and it's, uh, it's gained a lot of infamy for some of the ships that it's taken down. There, are, there has been a lot of major shipwrecks on that lake. There's I can't, I can't remember the name of the ships for the life of me, but uh, there used to be very, very large passenger ships that would go around the lake. Not so much around as uh, up and down, uh, coming out of Winnipeg and traveling onto, uh, onto the lake. And there are ships that were known to be taken down by islands because uh, not everything is well marked. Uh, some of the maps aren't very accurate but uh, if people are interested in actually seeing videos of some of the uh, the waves on the lake there's a research vessel based out of a community on Lake Winnipeg called and the community is called Gimli but the ship is called the Nemeo, and it's run by uh, a research group and they have a video on YouTube and I don't know whose, I don't know whose channel it's on but uh, it it's a large large, ocean fairing vessel and you can see it just crashing through waves and the waves are coming right up over top of their boat oh goodness uh i've heard of sailors who admittedly people people are very very bad at guessing the height of waves but i had one sailor who told me that uh they were up into 20 foot waves i'm not sure what the largest recorded is on the lake but uh the north basin when it gets when it gets howling winds you know there's there's winds that are in excess of A hundred kilometers an hour uh, in some of the bigger storms, and that's like that that pushes waves way up. So yeah, wow. This could have gone very wrong if you were
1: there at the wrong time. It sounds like the the weather must have been a little bit
0: more uh, gentle for you. Yeah, the 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 weather was awesome. Weather the weather tends to shift kind of late August. uh, So I was up there working construction over the past few weeks, and that was uh, there was wind every day and large waves, but just like some of the Great Lakes that the Great Lakes tend to uh, start to get a little bit rough come fall. And so July and June are good times to be on Lake Winnipeg for for kayaking. And, you know, I did get into a few big storms in the North Basin, but yeah, I, I, I did really luck out uh, with my trip. There there has been one, uh, well, not one, there, there's many, many people who get stuck and windbound on the lake while paddling what's supposed to be three or four days. And one story I heard uh, in a community up north, was that there was a guy who was paddling for I think it was supposed to be something like a week uh, on the lake, and he got windbound and ended up staying something like a month and a half, and went through all of his food supplies that were supposed to take him well beyond Lake Winnipeg and the rest of his uh, the rest of his route. And he ended up just getting windbound, couldn't move in his canoe. He was there in October with uh, with big wind and big waves, but yeah, I did really luck out. Wow.
1: So just a few more bullet points about this lake so people kind of get the scale of it. I'm glancing through this. Uh, First of all, I guess we should say how big it is. It is, let's see, 24,500 square kilometers, 9,465 square miles. That's a big lake. This is big. And it is... uh, Canada's sixth largest freshwater lake, the third largest freshwater lake that's entirely contained within Canada, Uh, here's something I found really interesting. Its drainage, meaning the area that, you know, water goes into the lake and then continues on out, its drainage is 40 times larger than its surface. It says that that's a ratio bigger than any other large lake in the world, and that leads to just a a crazy amount of water coming out of the lake. I couldn't believe this when I saw this 2000 cubic meters per second
0: flow out of the lake. Did you know that I've kayaked that uh, (laughs) it's the, it's the Nelson river. It's uh, a, a lot of people asked if I went and visited a community up North and I'd actually done that, uh, in the year prior so 2017 and you can we were eating lunch uh and floating in the boats and like you're just clipping down the shoreline it 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 moves very very quickly and when you pass by that uh that river mouth at the top of the north basin uh, i was told in one of the communities oh you know like you should be a kilometer offshore because you'll you'll feel it pull and I thought, oh, that's that's kind of silly. I, like I think a kilometer is really pushing it. I'll I'll just be like well offshore, and I was probably around 750 meters. And uh, my stern actually, I could feel it start to get dragged back. Oh no. Uh, so there's there's two there's two exits for the Nelson River. Uh, the main Nelson that flows past a uh, small fishing outpost called Warren Landing, and then one that was put in. I believe by the hydro development project, which is called Two Mile Channel, and Two Mile Channel has a lot more. It's a substantial flow, and you'll see uh, you'll see if there's algae on the water, you'll actually see it pushing in towards uh, towards Two Mile Channel. So it's it's a it's a substantial flow rate.
1: It's quite incredible. Yeah, that's just nuts. I mean, you think about it in feet per second, cubic feet per second. For the people in the, uh, the English system, it's almost 73,000 cubic feet per second. <laughs> that's, that's massive. So give us a, a, a human feel for the scale of this lake. We can read these numbers, and they kind of rattle around in our head, and we go, okay, it's big. We get it. But
0: what's the perception of it? How big is big to you? There are many moments on my trip where looking out, you get the feel that you're looking out at an ocean, you don't see land anywhere and like it's it's not it's one thing to stand on a lake and not see any shoreline on the other side but to go days on end uh where all you see is straight shoreline on the left side of your kayak and everywhere else around you is water it's it's to some degree quite lonely it's also to me it's fun i took pictures and sent out a lot of uh, a lot of photos when I was able to, and you know, people are surprised and they say, like, Oh, like I would, <laughs> I would hate doing that. That looks terrible. Uh, but to me and I'm sure all of your, uh, all of your listeners, it's like that, that's what we chase after. And so like, I, I love that, uh, that feeling of like, uh, where it's you with the wilderness and there's, uh, there's just, you're alone out there. I, I love that feeling.
1: Mm, yeah. It, It's not for everyone, but people that enjoy it, I think they can really resonate
0: with what you're saying. Yeah, I think I think it's very very hard to hard to to change the mindset that like like if you're if you're worried about being alone out there, if if you start off lonely on the trip, it doesn't get much better. Um, (laughs) And uh, it like I started at I started in the South Basin, so I was paddling by Cottage Country a lot, and it 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 was kind of a nice. warm up into it because there are like there are portions where you know if, if it's i always say that uh, the, the best days for me mentality wise was the hard days because you're goal focused you're looking uh, to get to the next campsite and you're dealing with waves and wind but it's those flat days where there's nothing going on where it's just flat water and those are the days that are really challenging because all you can do is just paddle and there's nothing there to look at except uh, like straight shoreline of sand beach. Uh, and that, that's, that's when it kind of gets lonely when, when you have nothing else to do and your mind starts to drift. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. So when you
1: get to the North Basin, I mean, that's the larger body of water, but it's
0: also more remote.
1: How does the landscape change? What does it look like up there?
0: Uh, a lot of the landscape up there changes to uh, rock. And so it, it's also what I got a lot of messages for because people taking photos up there, people don't normally see some of those things. So there's uh, uh, like there's big limestone cliff walls. high cliff walls that, you know, like I, I can be paddling next to them. And again, it's, it's, it's hard to measure things from a kayak. But, uh, you know, you, you can look at trees along the shoreline. Those uh, those cliff walls are easily two or three stories high. And they'll stretch for kilometers. And so it's uh, a lot of people think it's it's all just sand beach. But once you get up north, you have rocky shorelines where you can't land a kayak, especially in waves. And uh, cliff walls that offer absolutely no security. Like you're, uh, you just have to uh, keep pressing that out. And then, uh, yeah, marshlands, you get into a lot more marshes. Uh, the islands start. The islands were actually a, a great... Uh, turning point for me because when the islands started it was kind of my home stretch south and so making that run through the islands you go from uh, a large open body of water to suddenly being enclosed in those uh, rocky islands and that that's really something i, I really like the diversity of all of that mm. so did you
1: do the route clockwise is that the way that yeah, uh, to
0: this yeah went so i started a community called grand beach which is about uh a day's paddle uh, from the very bottom of the South Basin. It's located on the east side. So I went uh, down to the very bottom of the South Basin, north on the west side, and then over top on the North Basin, and then south on the east.
1: Very cool. So (laughs) I am also looking at Google Maps right now so I can see some of what you're talking about. And I was just in that north basin looking at that the cliff faces with lots of little rocky islands and hundreds and hundreds of little rocky islands you'd have to navigate through. And I was just thinking, well, are those rocky islands, those little ones, did that give you a place where you could land and camp? Or were they actually more of a nuisance because it was stuff you had to avoid?
0: The, the major nuisance of those islands were, it's a low water year this year, and uh, I've heard that it's three and a half feet uh, lower than... Uh, In previous years, other people have said two and a half feet. So I'll I'll call it three and a half feet because that sounds more dramatic. But uh, (laughs) the there's there's islands that are uh, that are on that shoreline that aren't put on the map, whether it's because uh, low water year. So uh, these reefs have become rocky shoals or because, uh, you know, the the islands just aren't well mapped. And so. In some degree, it was difficult because they're they're very hard to navigate through uh and I've done a lot of navigation in other areas in other water bodies where the islands are a blessing because they're really easy to uh to know where you are by looking at the map. but the inaccuracy of the island sometimes meant that I was figuring out where I was based on uh the average speed I can move in my kayak and then figuring out how many hours I've been paddling for.
1: Mm, okay, so uh, Dead Reckoning.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should say that's totally unreliable. Like I, uh, I, I did have a, uh, I had a garment in Reach, which is a satellite uh, device, and it allowed me to communicate with people, but also showed my location. And there were days where, to be honest, I, I, there were many days where I really didn't care where I was because as long as I'm not at the finishing point, I know I'm not moving backwards. Uh, and so I just keep paddling and then, you know, at the end of the day, check where I made it to so that I can compare it to, uh, to where I think I am on the map. And you're always within like two or three kilometers there. It's sorry to answer the, to answer the original question. Like they were, they were a blessing to some degree because they offered protection, big winds. On the other hand, they became a nuisance because it, it is very difficult to navigate them.
1: Mm, wow. Do you have a, a, a mileage
0: total? How far did you paddle? One thousand six hundred seventy-two kilometers. Wow,
1: one thousand six hundred seventy-two kilometers.
0: Probably give or take fifteen k easily, but uh, it was it's the shoreline. Interestingly, no one can agree on the shoreline distance. If you check uh, a government website versus I think Wikipedia and like the Canadian federal government's website, it it varies between. Uh, 1,800 kilometers and 1,700 kilometers and 1,750. But once I had it all mapped out, it was just under 1,700. So you're
1: just pretty darn close to a 1,000 miles. That's kind of where it translates to. That's a long way in a lake. One lake. <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. So I got to kind of get back to the backstory here. We kind of have a feel for the size of this but why did you decide to do it? I mean, here you are, you decided to do this before you were even 18 years old. What inspired you?
0: Well, a, a few things. One, it was uh, to raise awareness for watered stewardship. The lake is known now for being, I, th- I think, damaged is a good way to put it. There's two main issues right now. One is zebra mussels, an invasive species that uh, attaches to boats, and that, that's one major concern. They're washing up on beaches now in, in the millions, and they're they cut people's feet, which is, in my mind, uh, a smaller concern. But they, they are also clogging pipes, uh, destroying docks, uh, attaching to halls. Like, they, they terribly affect the ecosystem. Uh, and then another is uh, the algae. And algae blooms are very significant on Lake Winnipeg. They have been for a while. Uh, but there is one specific type of algae uh, called blue-green algae. And that uh, that's... That is toxic. Uh, smells terrible. We just had another bloom in the South Basin, and uh, I mean, you can be driving two or three kilometers uh, away from the lake on the highway and still get a whiff of. Uh, it smells kind of like a rotting, uh, rotting plant. Mm. Uh, and so, so like the lake. Uh, that's kind of like the background of the lake's issues. But uh, so, I want to raise awareness for water stewardship specifically targeting people who are in high schools and elementary schools. uh, Because I think that, you know, although there's been a great deal of work done with promoting conservation uh, for both like Winnipeg and its watershed, the target audience tends to be uh, people who are significantly older might be. uh, It's all, it all, it all gears towards tax paying citizens and people who vote uh, about like which politicians are going to favor uh, like Winnipeg in the next election, and who you can phone as a tax-paying citizen, and what this will mean for the future of your taxes or the value of your land. But it doesn't really target uh, someone in grade four, right? Because right. why would a why would a grade four care about uh, you know they're raising tax prices uh, to help save the lake? That might be something that they can understand because they hear their parents talking about it. But it, it's not something that's uh, very specific to them. And so my hope was that by doing these presentations that uh, people would then see it as, you know, like here's someone else who was previously under the age of 18 <laughs> and look what he's doing to, to a lot of the takeaway that the students had wasn't so much about, uh, oh, I have to be careful to drain my boat of zebra mussels. It was more I took what I loved, which is kayaking and used it to bring around a message. And that, that's what they really liked about it and helped promote uh, kind of Lake Winnipeg as an outdoors hub. And hopefully, like, the, one, of my, one of my fears is that, uh, you know, in my lifetime, Lake Winnipeg will die as a tourism hub. It, it is a great outdoors lake. Uh, it is, like, a, it's a great kiteboarding lake. Uh, it's known for its kiteboarding, its windsurfing, its sailing. It's not well known for its kayaking, really, but uh, kayaking, canoeing on the lake. Uh, fishing is well known. Uh, and so in order to just encourage that, uh, that future of, uh, recreation on the lake, as well as it, like the trip was just tons of fun. It's something I've wanted to do for a few years. And so it was, it was kind of a bucket list item too. Neat.
1: <laughs> There's a lot there. So the blue green algae blooms that are happening, is that naturally occurring? Is it effect of something going on like
0: uh nitrates getting dumped into the lake or what's causing that? Do you know? Eutrophication, so it's uh, there a lot of lot of phosphorus in the lake, and so it's uh, going to call out my home city here of Winnipeg, and uh, there it's in the news more and more now that uh, we have a treatment plant in Winnipeg, and uh, I can't speak too scientifically on it. There, there's people who are a lot more capable of doing that than myself, but uh, last I heard, it was four times, I believe, four times the amount of. Uh, of phosphorus coming out of that plant than is the current standard. But the issue is that it's going to cost a huge amount of money to fix that. Uh, And so it's like one of the things that, uh, that people are working towards is targeting taxpayers and saying, here's something that you need to consider for the future that we do need to repair this treatment plant uh, and get this underway. That's kind of like how it's causing and what's one of the things that's coming from, but there's also tests being done, uh, whether it's by that, uh, research vessel they're one of the groups doing research as well as uh, a group called lake winnipeg foundation who i partnered with for my trip and they're sending out people with test sample kits uh, and going around the province and uh, testing different uh, sources on the uh, watershed of lake winnipeg to see whether there's high levels of phosphorus or they're doing a lot of like uh, chemical testing around the province it's kind of a uh Kind of a volunteer type of uh, type of thing where people are collecting these test samples and going around the province, and and that's been that's been great because they're collecting a lot of a lot of samples, a lot of evidence, and that's being used in the future for uh, and currently for scientific research. Uh, and it's also that vessel that I mentioned earlier, the one with uh, the big waves on YouTube. They uh, they collect information on where where certain chemicals and certain, like phosphorus, for example. Phosphorus is a really big, uh, really big thing on Lake Winnipeg right now. What water body that's coming out of? Because as you mentioned, there's one very, very large exit for, lake, for water on the lake, the Nelson River, but there's many, many rivers that flow into the lake, uh, rivers, creeks, streams, and it's identifying which ones are uh, contributing the most towards basically pollution on the lake. Uh, whether it's in the form of microplastics or the blue-green algae, untreated wastewater, and it's been found that the Red River uh, is a source of that. And the Red River flows right through Winnipeg. Uh, it's where that water treatment plant is, or the waste treatment plant. And so, there, like that, that's something that's been identified. Uh, and now it's taking it to the next step politically and saying, okay, how do we, how do we turn this into a political? St- Standing where in the future of uh, provincial municipal politics this can be used uh, as a platform and encourage people to vote based on fixing this uh, north water treatment plan.
1: By now you certainly know who Bent Gate is that's for a great reason. Bent Gate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the adventure sports podcast almost from the beginning and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping. Like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. If you want to get into backpacking but you're not sure where to start go check out campcrate.net. Campcrate can help you plan the backpacking trip of a lifetime and supply you with all the rental gear you need. Simply go online and choose your gear and your itinerary. Campcrate will then ship your gear anywhere in the U.S. When your trip is finished, use the pre-printed return label to ship the gear back. It's that easy. Campcrate. Rent. Explore. Return. You know, I'm going to speak beyond my knowledge, I'm telling everyone right now, but there have been studies done around Colorado that say the oil and gas industry is worth so many, you know, dollars per year to the Colorado economy. And then they look at tourism, and tourism dwarfs the economic impact of the oil and gas industry. And so what people are saying is, why are we looking at a short-term damage to the land— that will hurt our long-term biggest economic impact, which would be tourism. And I don't even know if those numbers are fabricated. That's why I say I'm I'm speaking beyond my knowledge. But I bring that up as an example. It's really easy for people to uh, come up with all sorts of numbers and facts and figures, to try to promote their cause. But it might be that the long-term benefits of tourism on the lake outweigh the cost of repairing this waste treatment plant and others to The point that it's just a no brainer if we just look a little farther down the timetable,
0: you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and uh, one of the things I should mention to uh, price point, which I just looked up, it's uh, it's estimated over one billion to uh, to repair that uh, north end sewer treatment plant. One billion for a municipal government, uh, where Winnipeg is that's big, <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> that's a lot of money, that's big. and so and so uh, encouraging people to what would probably inevitably be a large tax increase. And I mean, again, this is, I'm, I'm just a kayaker. I'm not uh, a political scientist or a, uh, or in any way involved with government stuff, but that, that like, that is a large, uh, that's large bill to foot. Uh, And so I think encouraging people that, uh, you know, don't give up on Lake Winnipeg and that Lake Winnipeg is still part of, uh, is still part of this province is something that could hopefully encourage, uh, encourage people to, consider footing that bill and creating a new wastewater treatment plant or just simply making the upgrades uh, to bring it up to uh, what is now considered the current standard
1: yeah well with numbers like that and i'm not going to dive into the politics of this but it really needs to be viewed as a national treasure (laughs) right yeah it's 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 not, not a municipal problem anymore this is a national problem
0: for sure and it's uh if i remember correctly from the presentation's uh, it's been a few months since I've done one of those, but it's uh, Lake Winnipeg's watershed is just massive. It's uh, 1 million square kilometers uh, and then home to I believe seven million people. Uh, and it covers four provinces and four states. So it's a very, very large watershed uh, for this lake. And I mean even if we all if we start to start with small things, uh, seven million people, that's a large community that can definitely uh, we can start to see real solutions.
1: Hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, let's dive into the trip itself, man. We have danced around this, but we got to hear the stories. How many days did it take?
0: I uh, I started June 27th and finished August 3rd. Uh and then this is this is where it gets complicated. It was uh 27 paddling days. 28 days if you include one day that was down for weather. But of course, if you're doing the math along, that's not equal to August uh to June 27th to August 3rd. Uh, So I did spend a large amount of time in communities up north uh, researching uh, stories, taking pictures and taking videos and doing interviews. Uh, That's all being forwarded to the organizations that I partnered with, as well as being used in the future for our presentations.
1: Cool. So as an 18-year-old, how did this impact your, your perception of this part of the world and perception of humanity itself? Well,
0: first off, uh, I graduated high school at the end of June. This trip uh, was kind of my end point of high school. And so I'd gone from, I'd grad on uh, this big grad dance, kind of like prom, uh, on the Monday. And I left on a Wednesday early in the morning. And so I had, uh, I had one day to trade a suit jacket to a paddling jacket and uh, get out on the water everyone's geared towards university or college or trades and getting a job. Uh, Meanwhile, I, I was planning on abandoning life for two months and kayaking around a lake. And so it, uh, it, like, it was for one, it was a thrill and it was like, it was something that I've been doing every summer. I've been doing big trips every summer and it was now making it into, uh, making it have a larger purpose as well as a, one of the one of the greatest things i found was just the hospitality everywhere around the lake uh you know we tell our kids stranger danger and meanwhile i was spending nights with people that i like i've never met before and they'd see me on the beach and say like oh i know you we saw you on the news come in ha- have a bite to eat and a place to stay and they'd put a mattress out on the floor for me and i'd you know sleep in someone's living room uh someone i'd never met before which probably isn't a great idea in retrospect, but it was fantastic, especially when you go from uh being in a tent for a few weeks and you know the, there there weren't there wasn't too much uh too much rain, but uh you know, your gear gets wet, your gear your gear gets smelly, and so having a chance to not sleep in a sleeping bag is just is just fantastic. And so the, the hospitality the South Basin is mainly cottage country and that was uh almost all of that uh where I stayed where it was with people that I had uh, I had previously planned to stay with, uh, friends of the family and stuff like that. Once I started getting further north, uh, I had previously contacted, like, uh, in January of 2018, so, like, months before I left on my trip, I had contacted all the First Nations communities on Lake Winnipeg and asked permission to uh, come onto the land and meet with people, uh and they were super generous they offered me a bunch of information about uh the lake surrounding their communities everyone was very welcoming gave me a place to stay and i would show up in these communities and you know i wouldn't know a single person there and you know i within a few minutes i'd have people come by who recognize me because they would heard a few months ago that oh you know there's some crazy guy kayaking around the lake and uh you know, he's, he's coming over to see us. And so they, the people I'd never met before are offering me places to stay food to eat. I like the, the, the best moment for me was I had arrived on a shoreline and I had, it was just, a, it was one of those rough days where the, the weather and wind, the weather was terrible. The wind and waves weren't too bad, but it was just pouring rain. Uh, and I was thinking, wow, I, I'd hate to set up a tent in this. And, uh, I arrived in a community, Jackhead First Nation, and they said, uh, they said, oh, yeah, like, no, don't set up your tent. yet. we'll find you a place to stay. We'll get you food to eat. And they were super, super generous. Same with there's a First Nations community called Missipoistic on the in the north shore uh, of the North Basin. And I'd arrived at the nursing station because there's a nice green grassy area that I'd planned on setting setting up a tent. And someone came by and said, hey, uh, don't camp here. You have a place to stay at my house. Never met him before in my life, Uh, and then he took three days to tour me around, found other people that I could talk to, find out stories and stuff like that, uh, and drove to uh, drove to just all sorts of places around the community and around uh, around the uh, North Basin there, and that that was just incredible. So I think the hospitality that people offer is it's it's just it's something incredible you know, statistically, it's, it's kind of
1: hard to, to pinpoint exactly, but you hear numbers like 90% of the people in the world are just really great people, you know, who, who care for their fellow human and, and that sort of thing. There's somewhere around 10% that might be a little bit more nefarious, and there's 1% that you kind of have to watch out for. But what that tells us is that, you know, even that 10%, that may not always be on the up and up are generally going to treat you right. (laughs) And so we're talking about 99% of humanity that can be reasonably trusted, you know, and we forget that, you know, we we were taught as kids that the world can be a dangerous place. But the reality is, is that it's almost all safe. It's mostly safe. It's really just that 1% you got to watch out for. And I love it when I hear from people like you who go out and say, wow, I met this perfect stranger. And next thing you know, I'm sleeping in this house. He takes three days off. He shows me around. I met all these people. It was amazing. You know, that's that's the story about humanity that I like to hear. I think it's just pretty cool. So did it change your perception then of people? Do you do you think
0: the world is a safer place now? Yeah, I, I Still, probably wouldn't just sleep at anyone's house in Winnipeg. I think that'd be a bit of a reach. But uh, <laughs> the uh, there's there's something called Northern hospitality, and uh, that's a term that's uh, I, I think sometimes it tends to be thrown around a lot without uh, uh, without very much concentration of like the meaning behind it. But you get into Northern communities, and everyone looks out for each other. Another one of my favorite stories was there's there's a small harbor in a section between the south basin in the north basin that's called the narrows and i'd arrived there in a kayak and uh sorry of course i'd arrived there in the kayak but kayaked up there and there's a harbor there and there's there's two boats left in the harbor is uh the end of fishing season it closed on july 10th i think or something like that and so i arrived no boats around there's no community around it either it's just a it's just a harbor where people uh park their boats and they drive to wherever they live and, you know, there's a sign that says uh, no camping violator. Anyone who violates this will be prosecuted or something like that. And, uh, uh, you know, the number to contact if you're landing a boat there. And it was about uh, maybe around eight o'clock at night. And uh, those phone numbers are all after 530. No one's picking up those phones. Uh, and so I pitched a tent in the grassy area and thought, you know, I, middle of nowhere, I assume that anyone who would come by would have a little bit of uh, heartwarming decency and uh, let me stay there. And uh, so I packed up, went to bed, uh, flipped the kayak over in the bushes, sitting in my tent and uh, I hear a truck come up and someone said, I can hear someone say, well, w- would you look at that? And I thought, uh oh, that's probably the harbor master coming to give me a rough time for camping. Uh, and so got out of the tent, walked up and uh, these two people sitting in a truck looking at me and uh, the guy looks at me and goes, where are you headed? And I said, uh, I said Grand Beach, which must have looked really strange because I was about 450 kilometers away from there. And the, guy, the guys got the guys' eyes kind of like widen up, and, uh, and his wife goes, "Well, where are you? Uh, where are you headed to tomorrow?" And I said Matheson Island, which is uh, one of those, what, the big populated island in the North Basin. And uh, yeah, they said, "They said, oh well, like you know, there's bad weather tomorrow. We wish you the best of luck." They said, "Thank you very much." Went back into the tent around maybe 9 30 10 o'clock i wake up to these high beams pointed into my tent my my gut reaction was like oh this 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 isn't gonna be good and so i got changed got out of the tent uh and the same couples back there and the guy goes didn't want to uh didn't want to shake the tent to wake you and think that there was a bear so we thought we'd shine light in And he goes, we brought you food. (laughs) And I said, food for what? They go, well, you know, there's the storm coming in tomorrow. And, uh, you know, if you don't make it to Matheson, we want to make sure that you have enough food. Meanwhile, I had a week of extra food left in the kayak. And so I told them that we had a good laugh over that. But they had brought me a fresh cooked apple pie, apple juice and orange juice because they weren't sure which one I would like. Uh, (laughs) They also brought me a can of, I think it was Pepsi, two bags of chips and then fresh fruit. And so they, I, I had a laugh with them and said, like, oh, that's very generous, but I don't need it. And uh, the wife's response was, neither do we. And so we ended up eating an apple pie in the back of their truck at, uh, at 10 at night, really just the middle of nowhere. And so they, they, like that, that hospitality, like they had never met me before. And after maybe a 30-second conversation, they cooked me an apple pie and brought it over. And that was, that was really something. That was just one of the best moments I've ever had.
1: <laughs> that's wonderful i love stories like that man that's a beautiful thing that's so cool
0: and i i actually interestingly uh i met their cousins on my way back because you, you have to pass through the narrows again uh when you finish the north basin and it's about uh maybe a mile across uh from either side and i ran into uh just by chance ran into their cousins who were fishing there and I, they brought their boat over to my kayak and said hey we think we know you and I I said, well, they go, okay, where do you know me from? They said, uh, uh, our cousin saw you at the harbor and <laughs> they brought you food. Our whole community has been following along. We didn't think you were going to make it. We're really happy you made it this far. <laughs> um, and uh, and so, you know, like they'd shared on Facebook that they, I saw the Facebook post. They said something like, we we saw this guy who thinks he's going to kayak around the lake. He seems like he's well-prepared uh and it'd been like it'd been reshared so many times and uh people were commenting on it and so uh you know if people didn't recognize me off of uh what I look like, they'd recognize me off of uh this picture of a kayak on the on the couple's Facebook page that's just uh you know an eighteen foot blue kayak with a bunch of stickers on it, and that's how people knew me. So <laughs> that's fun.
1: That's fantastic. You know, here's the cool thing about it too. You realize that you did something, and some people would say, well, why'd you do that? That's just some stunt. But I don't see it that way. You do something for a life experience, and you decide to make it meaningful, maybe to raise awareness about, you know, water preservation. And pretty soon there's this momentum that builds behind it, and people discover what you're doing. And, you know, it it creates a wave in the consciousness of society a wave that can make a difference, that can crash on someone's shore, and you don't know who that's going to be, you, you might change a life, you might change an attitude, you might provide hope for a lot of people, just because you shared your story. So why not do it? I think that's one of the most beautiful things about adventure sports that it often goes overlooked. By doing some of these things, you can actually make far-reaching impacts in places you would never anticipate. So that's really cool. You know, you got a little buzz going around your trip, and and people were watching what you're up to, and that's that's just fantastic.
0: Yeah, I've, I've just like you know the, the beauty behind this trip was that uh, strangely for some people it seemed to uh, mean a lot of people it meant just as much to them as it did to me, and then strangely some people it meant more to them than it uh, than I ever set out uh, to have it mean for me. And you know, like I I have different reasons for for loving. Uh, having done this trip. Meanwhile, like there's people who uh, everyone finds their own connection to this trip, Uh, whether it's uh, watching me pass through, you know, the community that they're originally from or uh, where their grandfather used to uh, be a a commercial uh, fisher or where their grandmother used to have a trapping line. And like that, that's their their big takeaway from it. And I, I think it's just unique to, to find people's different perspectives on, uh, on what beauty in the outdoors means to them.
1: Yeah, that's great. And so what about the natural impact? You spent a lot of time. Let's, let me ask this question first. What was the longest period of time that you were alone that you didn't see other people? Uh,
0: well well over a week. (laughs) I just got to think this back in my head. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, uh,
1: I think 12 days. 12 days. So that's a pretty good stretch. That gives you plenty of time to get into the rhythm of nature and to have that experience. Um, what was it like? What is the, that solitude like? What was nature like in that area? And, and how did that impact you?
0: Um, I've often said that uh, I was on this radio show before I left and I'd opened it up to people to send me emails and contact me with, uh, you know, comments, questions, concerns. There was a lot of people who were you know, like whether they made it public or not, we're definitely gonna be rather dubious of this because this is like a rather dangerous undertaking, especially when people uh, you know, equate my age to well I have an 18-year-old son named Jason and he plays video games in his living room and he wouldn't survive this, so he won't survive this either. And a lot of people would make those type of comments uh on a public forum that you know it's not appropriate for me to respond to so i my hope was that people would send me emails with concerns and stuff like that and i could hopefully answer that so that they wouldn't go through the whole summer with the thought that this is a dangerous undertaking where the guy's going to die and so i like i'd opened it up and one of the emails i got was this lake doesn't care if you're alive or dead uh don't (laughs) do it or something like that yeah it was (laughs) like very dramatic and so uh you know, my response to that is like if it doesn't care if you're alive or dead, that doesn't mean that it's out to kill you. You you kinda get this mindset when you're out on the trip that the lake the lake watches out for you to some regard, I think. There's many people have a very deep spiritual connections to that lake. And uh, I, I think you talk to a lot of people and they'll all agree that uh you know, if you're out there for a good reason, uh the lake does uh the lake does really watch out for you and your best interests. So
1: mm interesting interesting so you had a real strong connection with the with the lake and with the land then mhm wow and uh, it, i always I guess I I am humored. I I think it's funny when people say, "Oh, he's only eighteen. He shouldn't do this."
0: And but you know, there's no reason not to if you're prepared. <laughs> well, what am I gonna do? Do it when I'm thirty and have a full time job? Who's gonna? I I I highly doubt I'm gonna find an employer who goes, "Oh yeah, sure, take two months off to kayak around a lake." So this was this was the best time to do it for me. So
1: I love it. I love it. Well, and another question I had to ask
0: was, what about your folks? What would your parents say? <laughs> I've admitted this before, so I think I can admit this now. Uh, I started planning this in September. My mom found out about it in November, and then my dad found out about it when we were all on a family, uh, on a family vacation in Costa Rica uh, <laughs> at a moment that I thought, like, wow, he, he seems like he could slowly adjust to this concept. And so I think I told him, in it would be end of December, early January. And so it was a lot of the foundation was already there for the trip. A lot of the planning had already been done, and I contact, uh, it was, I let him know, and I told him about it around the dining room table. And I think his, his first response was something like, mm-hmm, you know, didn't uh, – my parents were anticipating this because I've been talking about this for the past few years. But I think my, my parents also thought that this was going to be something that, like, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you keep thinking would be a great idea, but you never really commit to it. But, uh, you know, after after they settled into the idea that this was something I really wanted to do, they were incredibly supportive. I I think a lot of parents and I I think it's true now more than ever, as their child's uh, success grows in a sport, so does their apparent knowledge in it. Uh, So you'll talk to someone who uh, who has a kid who plays hockey and, you know, the parents never played before, but suddenly they're a professional coach. And my parents have a real gift of not doing that. They they do know that like you know like they they fall back on uh, what I kind of believe. And so you know like I don't have uh, I I, I th- I've very much been gifted with having parents that that allow me to make my own decisions, trust my knowledge on stuff, uh, and as well like when I I I chose. Uh, I, I was stuck between two kayaks. I didn't know which one I was gonna take for this. Uh, I wanted to get a new boat for the trip, and I was stuck between the Rockpool Terran and the PH Cetus MT. And I like I was just torn. I could not decide for the life of me. And uh my dad sat down and he phoned all he phoned different ambassadors for the two companies who use these kayaks and He looked through all the reviews online, and he looked at, uh, you know, not just reviews from uh, the common cons- consumer, but also from engineers and stuff like that about uh, the durability and reliability and how it uh, goes through the water and how it's going to be once it's packed. And so he he helped me make that final decision to go for the Cetus. And uh, like it, they're my parents, I consider them a gift to. To being able to do what uh, what I've done in my life, mm, that's beautiful. Well, I would like to
1: say for those who are listening, who uh, maybe they they are parents. If you teach your children well, teach them how to be independent and make wise decisions, and then you empower them to make those decisions. Then you know, kids get to this point of being able to do amazing things at what some people might say is a relatively young age. It's just the way it works. But if you always tell your kid, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, i got to take care of you, I've got to, no, no, don't do that, you'll get hurt, you know, it, then the, the kids never learn it, you know. So you your parents certainly must have worked hard to make sure that you were the kind of guy that was empowered to make decisions and try things and, and that they were there to catch you if you fell. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and they uh- – I, I should also say that they're like, they're also very outdoorsy. Like they, this wasn't just uh like my, my parents haven't sat around uh inside of a house their whole lives. When I was super young, we were climbing uh, Mount of and Mount Robson. I did the West coast trail with my dad when I was 10. And uh, you know, like my dad, when I was in, I think I was in grade two or grade three, he was looking at traveling to Antarctica. My parents have both done big kayaking trips in Alaska. My mom's, very big into canoeing. Uh, and so like, this wasn't, this wasn't a totally new concept for them. Like it wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't throwing them into the outdoors world, which has been great because I think if like, if not for my parents helping me or inspiring me through my whole life with uh, with getting outdoors, this wouldn't, uh, this wouldn't have been a thing. Uh, but they also, uh, they're also open to new ideas, which is nice. Not just this trip, but both my parents have gotten into whitewater kayaking after I got into kayaking like you know they're not they're not running class four rapids they're not trying to go down to the states to run waterfalls and stuff like that they're happy to pat me on the back after i after i go and run waterfalls but uh they're not uh they're open to trying things and open to new ideas and that's what uh that's what's really helped me grow in the outdoors world
1: Mm, very very cool well we're running out of time darn it i'd love to keep on talking to you more and more about this how about this close us out was something that surprised you about the trip, something you didn't expect to happen that was impactful for
0: you? Sure. Uh, I I think one of the best things was uh, being able to work with companies and organizations. It's, This is going to sound like a massive sponsor pitch, and it's not meant to. But uh, you know, like organizations, like uh, I worked with three organizations on the trip, Lake Winnipeg Foundation, uh, Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, their Manitoba chapter, as well as uh, what's now a UNESCO World Heritage site called Pimatchu Naki on the in the North Basin of Lake Winnipeg. And you know, when I contacted those organizations, I was 17, and uh, it was with kind of what wasn't really a concrete trip yet, because I like I had all my maps planned out, I knew where I was staying, but I asked them to be a part of this ride, and they were like they were more than willing. And it, it is a dangerous trip, and it, like they're just their their willingness to their willingness to be part of it, and also to see the value in having this educational opportunity with having a 17 year old present to uh, to other high schoolers about about this trip. As well as uh, I worked with four companies that sponsored me, a company called Gear Lab Paddles, which is based out of Taiwan. Uh, Gort Bars, which is this energy bar based out of Manitoba, so a local company. Uh, wilderness Supply out of Winnipeg and uh, Wind Paddle Sales out of the U.S. And all of the, all four of those companies, you know, I like I reached out to them. You know, I, like I've done a lot of trips, but nothing that's that's been, I, I, I guess, profitable is the good word. Nothing that uh, that a company can go like wow look at uh, look at this, uh, and so like they they all those companies put a lot of trust in me you know Gear Lab has Gear been incredible and like it's you know a company out of Taiwan that like I reached out to them 17 years old and said you know like I love paddling Greenland paddles I know that you guys make a strong carbon fiber option is there any chance you would let you would sponsor my trip? And I was expecting a response of, yeah, you know, we'll we'll take $20 off or something like that. And the response I got back was sure. How would you like to be a brand ambassador for gear lab? Nice. Uh, and yeah. And they, uh, and they wrote a bunch of press releases and stuff like that. And they got the word out and like that, that's one of the things that's important to me about this trip. It wasn't about, it's not about being a commercial aspect. This wasn't meant to be a, a I didn't want my face on the cover of something. I wanted it to be about Lake Winnipeg. And all these companies respected that. And, you know, Gear Lab drove to have my articles published and stuff like that. And the amount of people that that reached is just incredible. And like, it it takes it outside of the Canadian border and makes it an international, uh, an international event. Uh, Same with GORP. They like, they also wrote stuff on their blog and stuff like that. And the amount of backing that I had from these companies and organizations, the amount of trust that they gave me for like a 17 year old that uh, like I've, I've done big trips before. But, you know, this, this is this is something that's totally new. And this was a trip that there was no guarantee whether or not I would finish it. And they they put their trust in me. And I thought that was just incredible.
1: Mm, I love it. That's very, very cool. Well, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time today to come and tell us at the Adventure Sports Podcast about your trip and what you did it's inspiring. I think that uh, people realize, you know, there, there are things that are out there that are possible. If I dream a little bigger, maybe those things could happen. So thanks for doing it. Thanks for inspiring us. And thank you for the time today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah, you bet, man. And for all the listeners out there, wow, right? Battling around Lake Winnipeg. I, uh, I just think it's a fantastic feat and I want to congratulate Alex for doing it. But, you know, let that be a seed for a dream of your own and and send those waves out yourself. You never know what shores those waves will crash on and what a difference it might make in the lives of another. So until the next show, make sure that you do get out there and have some fun.
2: Hey, y'all, thanks again for listening. If you really enjoyed the show, uh, please share it on social media. Uh, Share it with your friends and family. Also, you can always leave us a review on iTunes, and yeah, enjoy your week and go do something worthy of a story on Adventure Sports Podcast. All right, y'all.